in order to be able to understand this continuation of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Last week we heard the Beatitudes, now we're beginning the second part of Jesus' sermon. I want to be able to look at the Sermon of the, on the Mount through the lens of what Paul is speaking about in his letter to the Corinthians. Paul has this particular line in here, and it's very beautiful. And he goes, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my message and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of spirit and power. Spirit and power. The power of God. The power of God. What is the power of God? What is the demonstration of the Spirit? Spirit here being capitalized, Holy Spirit. What is this? We experience the power of God in many different means. The sacraments, the church, our relationships as Christians amongst each other, but also in the gospel. The gospel. The word gospel, what does that mean? We take it from the Latin evangelion. Evangelion. And what does that mean? Evangelion means I bring you something good. I tell you something good. That's literally what evangelion means. But why do we start using that word in the church, in the early church? We appropriated it. But who do we appropriate it from? We appropriated it from the emperor, and the cult of divine worship to the emperor. <laughs> we literally stole it from occult worship. Why? Why? There are many kinds of good news that is proclaimed to us in our experience, in our life, in our world. In the context of the cult of the emperor, the good news that was proclaimed was this, is that there was the Pax Romana, meaning the peace of Rome, it was proclaimed that there were no more wars, that the emperor, the God-man, came and brought peace and imposed peace on all the world. But there's a skepticism below that, a cynicism. Why? And notice I use the word imposed. Imposed. There was a peace in the world, but at what cost? At what cost? If you were a Parthian, you might have felt different. If you were a Gaul, you might have felt different. If you were a Visigoth, you might have felt differently. You would have been conquered, and that in your conquering and enslavement would have been the peace that was imposed. And similarly, in our own day, we have our own places where the gospel, the good news of something, is proclaimed to us. For example, the good news of America but again, we have that skepticism below in our heart. At what price? How's Iraq doing, as an example? Or maybe we have the good news of technology to fix everything, but we pull out our iPhone and we realize that there's a Uyghur camp somewhere that made that. Again, at what cost? What price? In other words, the good news that is often proclaimed to us is not actually good. There's something below it. But there are other places 
where there is good news that's proclaimed at a cost, but a good cost. And it comes as a light. Comes as a light. For example, maybe you're a slave in Galveston on June 19th in 1865, and you hear about your freedom, and it was given to you at a price. Your dignity was recognized and affirmed and activated, but at a price, but a good price, a true price. And it unleashes all this hope. It unleashes all this love and desire and hope for the future. The reason why I want to bring those two experiences of good news being proclaimed to us into focus is for this reason. It's because one set of good news ends up quieting something in our own heart, and the other one unleashes it. What's the thing that's quieted, and what's the other one that's unleashed? Imagine yourself as a lowly worker or a slave or somebody in the ancient world, and you hear about the good news of the Caesar. And you're like, I'm supposed to feel happy, but I don't. Supposed to feel happy, but I don't. And so you just get by. You just get by. And you don't realize what you're looking for necessarily. You're hoping for something, but it's not clear what you're hoping for. And we all have those experiences in our own life. For example, I was talking to an acquaintance yesterday. He was an Olympic swimmer, and he said that I had to prove my life, to justify my life, in 50 meters. I had to justify my life in 50 meters. In other words, there was this belief that he had that his life wasn't good. His life wasn't good. And that he had to prove himself in order to justify that he was good. We all have those false narratives in us as well, in different, maybe different place, uh, places and parts of our heart. And then he was talking about when he first heard the gospel, how he realized, how he realized that he was loved and it unleashed something. Where the world is telling him, it's only good if you can perform. And you're good at what you do. That's the good news. You're good at what you do. But he had that skepticism below him that silenced his desire and his heart. But when he first heard the gospel, it was unleashed. I am loved. I am known. And similarly, when we hear things that actually liberate us, like that word that came to the former slaves in 1865, something was unleashed in them. Something was unleashed. This is the power of God that Paul is talking about, the gospel. This is what he's talking about. And what he's trying to bring us into focus with here is simply this. He wants us to be able to recognize that human conventions and schemes, false gospels, as it were, are not enough. There may be a part of them that are good, but they're not sufficient. They're not sufficient to unleash what's actually our desire and what we're truly looking for, to be known, to be loved, to have joy, to have dignity. Those are the things that can only come from Jesus and Jesus alone. 
And what was the proclamation of Jesus? That you are made, that you are known, that you are loved, that you are not alone, that your heart is worth everything, and that somebody paid a great price for it out of simple love, a simple love for you, a gratuitous love. And when we first hear that and actually take that in, it unleashes many things in us, makes us new. And this is how I want to be able to help us understand this part of the Sermon on the Mount about salt and light. What does it mean to be salt? What do we do with salt? We flavor our food. It gives taste. It gives taste to something. It preserves something. What Jesus is saying is that your very flesh, knowing that it's loved and known and seen, actually makes everything around you have taste. What he is saying is you are the salt of the earth, meaning you will walk into a room and somebody will say, when he or she walks in the room, I feel like I'm myself. And they haven't even said a word to me. Because you have a new nature, as Paul would go on to say. A redeemed nature. Because you know that you are loved. And light, what does light mean? When Jesus says a light, a lamp, the Greek word in this is actually means a portable lamp, like a flashlight. What does that imply? It means that you are able to be taken up into the hands of God and moved around the house at will, at will. In other words, that in your life, in the life that you live, everywhere you go, the Lord is actually taking you up into his hands and shining light into the heart of somebody else. And what does it take then to be a light? Transparency. Big word for us today, but what is the basis of transparency? Transparency. What is it? I'd like to propose that we use the word honesty. Honesty. And honesty is the hardest thing for us to do as humans. It's super difficult. Who do we first have to be honest with? Ourself. Ourself. Am I happy? What has happened to me? The most important thing, the most important question in our life is this. Am I loved? Am I loved? To be honest with that question, am I loved? When we ask that question in that honesty, that vulnerability to the Lord, that's what allows us to become transparent. And then once we receive that truth that we are loved, we experience it from God, what ends up happening, we become honest with other people. We become honest with other people. But in what way? Not that we lie, we're not lying anymore, but that we actually tell our experience. We actually share our real experience. When you walk into the room as a salt that gives taste to the world, somebody finally asks, how is it that you live that way? Why are you this way? And you can be honest with your experience. Because I know myself to be loved. 
by him who made me, Jesus. I can be honest. And that's what gives transparency. That's what allows you to be portable, to move around and show light into the world. So simply to conclude, how do we tie all of this together in our experience today at Mass? What I'd like to ask you to do so when you're receiving communion or receiving a blessing, to ask Jesus this one question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Ask him that. And you're thinking to yourself, look, that's, I don't know if I want to ask, that seems like presumptuous. Look, just read all the Psalms. The Psalms are filled with somebody saying, God, do you love me? Why'd you leave, hang me out to dry? Be honest. Jesus, do you love me? Simply ask the Lord that, and in your silence, listen for something. In the glance of somebody, when you're saying hello to them after Mass, notice maybe the face of God looking at you. But to be honest, my friends, the narratives and the Gospels that are proposed to us have to be judged through the architecture of our heart. The narratives in the Gospels that are given to us by the world, while they may be partially good, are simply not sufficient. What's being proposed to us every single Sunday is the one thing that is sufficient. So let us simply put ourselves before the Lord in honesty and allow the truly good news to erupt out of us.